Hey, what's up, my people? Hope you're all doing good. Welcome back to the show. Now, I would like to start by saying Yudi can't be here this week as it seems like his engagement's already got into his head. So we're a man down and we've lost a good one. But hopefully he'll be back next week once he's grown a pair. But anyway, thanks to everybody who's been sending me their feedback about recent episodes. We've certainly had some very important conversations, in my opinion. So it's great to know that you guys are listening and the interactions on social media have been great. But for all those that haven't joined the party yet, the handle is kickback underscore Nadum, and that is on Twitter and on Instagram. But now anyway, let's get to today's guest. I think some of you might not necessarily recognize his name, but he is one of the most important people in Manchester City's Premier League history. That's my opinion, and that's the opinion of lots of other people, I believe. Because he's the man that's just as, just as loved by Kevin Horlock as he is by Sergio Aguero because he's helped him help both of those guys along the way. And this is myself included within that. So why don't you have a listen to the man that's been at the club for pretty much 28, 29 years, as I'm sure he's got some stories to tell. So without further ado, here he is, the player's favourite, Les Chapman. There I am. It's me, Chappie. Sanu! <laughs> how are you, Chats? I'm okay, how are you? Hello, hello, hello. Good to see you guys. So, <laughs> Chap, are you ready then? This is this is fun. Like, I understand you don't know what a podcast is, but by the end, I think you'll understand what it is, yeah? Yeah. I think I've done a, two or three things before on the similar, okay. similar line, so... All right, cool. Well, Chappie, you are... You are the man that's seen it all when it comes down to Man City. I think there's no denying that fact. And I think I feel very lucky today to have you on, to be able to talk about all those eras. But before I get to that, you know, because everybody knows you as, you know, the the eccentric, lovable Man City kit man and all this stuff. But before I get to that, there was something that came before that. And what was I saying? You always used to say it, like you said it to every player there. How many games was it said you played in your career? 749 league games. And then what would, you, what would you say about your house? And a window or something like that? And I had one door on my house. <laughs> Do you know, that still tickles me to this day, you know. That's absolutely Six, brilliant. 60 quid a week I earned in the top division. 60 quid a week? What was the what was the Premier League wow. in those days? It was the first division and I was on 60 quid a week. And... Did you enjoy it? Like, that's a lot of games for not a lot of money. Were you enjoying it or were you doing other things? What was the issue? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was obviously, it was full time. I wasn't doing anything else. Mm -hmm. um, it was a great career to have, even though the rewards weren't what they are today. It was still a brilliant career. You know, you do a lot of traveling, you meet a lot of people. You're playing something that you love doing in front of Thousands and thousands of people. Mm -hmm. I play. I think I was a honorary member of the '92 club as well at one time, which meant I played on every ground in all four divisions. Wow, that's very uh, cool. But what from what I saw, you, like so you were playing for basically every team in Greater Manchester, apart from City and United, apart from those two. That's what it felt like. Did you ever come close to apart from City and United? Seemed like you played for everybody else in Greater Manchester. <laughs> Did you ever come close to that? Uh, no, you didn't. No, I, I mean, I started at Oldham in 1967 and then moved to Huddersfield, back to Oldham in, in um, 75. Uh, San Jose earthquakes in 79 for four months on loan, mm. and then it was a series of clubs all in the northwest Stockport, uh, Bradford, Rochdale, back to Stockport, Preston North End. Mm. And what were you like as a player? This is what I really want to know. Because I hear about it, those 749 and only one door. But what were you like as a player, really? <laughs> uh, skint. Okay. Um, what was I like? I would have said I was always mainly, or what I thought I was mainly, would be a team player. Okay. I'd work tirelessly for the team mm -hmm. and help as many team members as I could. On the field. Okay. And what were you like off the field? Probably not as mad as I was in my latter years, but <laughs> still on the verge, I think. Okay. Okay. And why did I think you... the I think the insanity progressed over the years. Yeah, I, I could I can believe that. I can believe that. And what were you why did you actually stop then? Playing? Yes. Uh 
I stopped. Can you swear on this? You can say whatever you want to say, Chappie. Say whatever you want. Right. Well, I'll tell you when I stopped playing. I was... It was the last game of the season, and I was player, assistant manager at Preston North End. Yeah. And we were playing away at Swansea. At a ground called the Vetch. Mm-hmm. Huge ground. And... I was on the bench and next to me, the other substitute was Frank Worthington. And we were both 40 years old. And there was 10 minutes to go in the match and we were 2-0 down. Mm-hmm. So John McGrath said to me, Chappie, go and warm up, come on for 10 minutes. So I'm running up and down the touchlines and then I stopped in the corner and started to do some stretches. Yeah. And it was one of those points in a game when everything goes quiet and you can hear a pin drop. Yeah. I don't know why, but... So I'm doing these stretches and then suddenly I hear this booming Welsh voice from back in the stand and shouted, Fuck me, are you the secret weapon then? <laughs> so I had, I had to chuckle and I thought, yeah, I think it's about time that I did pack in. And of course, the season after John McGrath was sacked and they appointed me manager, so mm. that was um, that was uh, eighty nine. I played my last game. Okay, and as how long were you sort of in that managerial field? Like you didn't have a ton of jobs in there, did you? How long was it? No. Well, I, I was caretaker manager at Rochdale when I played there. Yeah. And I was caretaker manager at Stockport when I played there. Probably because I was the oldest. When they'd sack the manager, I was the oldest in the team. And possibly because I was one of the very few with about six functioning brain cells. So <laughs> I think it cool. was just the natural progression that they put me in charge. Cheap option till the end of the season. Yeah. So uh. that was at Rochdale and Stockport. And then I was in charge at Preston from 90 to 92 okay and in and in 92 after i got sacked the very same month or the the following month i came to city okay and you came to city under what role uh, i was reserve team coach with uh, peter reed was the manager okay okay and that was in 92 92 okay so just for clarity because there are tons of city fans that listen to this i think there's a good proportion of like the city fans listening now who weren't even born then which is really, really funny and really interesting. <laughs> yeah. that, that's, you know, this is where we're at right now. So how long were you a reserve team manager at City for? Uh, I was there through Peter Reed's reign, then Brian Horton, then he got sacked, then Alan Ball came, and it was during Alan Ball's reign uh, that I left and went to Huddersfield for 10 months to be the youth team coach with Brian Horton, who was the manager then at Huddersfield. Yeah. And then Brian Horton got the sack and all his staff got the sack at the same time. Okay, nice. So I was out of a job. Ronnie Evans, do you remember Ronnie Evans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure do, yeah. Ronnie Evans' physio was, um, he kept pestering Joe Royal, who was manager of City at the time, that they needed a kit man because he was like helping out doing the kit and that wasn't his role. Uh, Tony Buck was doing a bit on that side as well and... Um, so I, I came to City uh, as kit man in 97. Um, it was a job. I didn't have a job. Mortgage, two kids, so I needed a job and I took it. Yeah, and that was in 97, you say? It's okay. So, the, kit, the kit job, 97. Okay, yeah. so, if I look, so if I look back now, firstly, when you mentioned that time when you were working as reserve team manager, you, you, you're naming some infamous Man City managers there through that time. People mm-hmm. who weren't necessarily loved the most for the giving the best deal with the best football or anything, but we won't get into that. But we'll get into mm-hmm. sort of firstly, like obviously, you say you took the job because it was a money type thing, but you didn't need to stay in the job for as long as you did because you only stopped it full time. Was it three years ago? Yeah. So why? Well, go on. Well, I, I worked for the last three years at City. I worked for City TV, so it might have been a bit longer. It might have been nine fourteen. It's about five to six years i stopped doing the kit job okay and considering like you know you're an iconic person in that role as such why didn't you try and go back into management or to like coaching young kids and stuff like that 
Uh, what do you mean when I'm finished? No, 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 no. Like in 97, you take up the role as a kit. Man, yeah. And you do it for yeah. a year. You do it for two years or whatever. Did you not yeah. ever get the itch to go back into coaching? I actually got an offer during that first season I was kit man um, from a man, a player called Warren Joyce. Yeah. Who used to be a player at Preston when I was there and he got the manager's job at Hull City. And he phoned me up and asked me to go be assistant manager at Hull City. Okay. I told Joe Royal about the request and he mentioned it to some of the players. And the players had a whip round and gave me a couple of grand and okay. told me I had to stay. So Okay. And, and why was that? Why was that? Why do you think they did that in that moment? Uh, well, I think, I mean, I've always looked at my kit man's role as... Uh, I do a service for the players. It's not just supplying them with kit, cleaning the boots. And I do errands for them, give them advice if they ever want any. I go on holiday with them. You know, they, mm. you, you get into a position of trust because you're in that dressing room every day. Yeah. And whatever they want, I would provide. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and you're not dropping them for the team. So it's not as though you're doing anything against yeah. them or or anything that they might not like so you know I, I formed great relationships and as i said i was the first city kit man so they thought it was great they didn't have to go just to, to the laundry and help themselves to a load of gear i could i would bring it for them so yeah that's crazy I suppose that's one of the reasons why they wanted me to stay that's crazy you know because in my mind, I just thought every team always had a kit man. To know that you were the first, no. it was only in 97. That's, that's kind yeah. of nuts. So people listening, again, the City fans, I think they're really sort of intrigued here. They're going to try and get something from you because of the fact that you are, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, you are the man that's seen it all. You've been in that dressing room across hundreds of players across three decades. You know what I mean? So I'm going to be really like trying to drill down because I want to hear about this stuff. Because for me personally, I joined the club in 90, um, 97, I think I joined the club. So literally when you started, it's similar to when I started, but I was seeing the other side of it in terms of the academy and all that stuff. But how, what was the club like to work for in that first year? Because that was around the time when it was a sort of the era of the yo-yo slide type stuff. So what was it actually like at that time? Uh, in 97, you mean? Yes. Uh it was great because we had a great staff. Yeah. Great people. Acer Hartford, Willie Donachie, Joe Royal, Roy Bailey, Ronnie Evans, as I mentioned before. Brilliant staff. Good set of players. Honest lads. Friendly. Uh, the whole atmosphere was just a brilliant place to be. We weren't the greatest team in the world. Mm -hmm. But I always look at it this way. I used to get up in the morning and look forward to going to work. Okay. And vir virtually everybody who worked at Manchester City at that time felt the same. Yeah, I get you. I get that. I, t I totally get that. And something you've said there, I'll probably come back to at a later stage when talking about another era. But that's that's very interesting to hear because in that time, you know, come the next year or two years, it's the year when we're in Division Two. You know, I remember like. But in that time, all those things you said are so true. But I also remember loving that period because that's when I was a ball boy. I was a ball, ball boy at Main Road. And that feeling <laughs> of just before kickoff, just sticking my head out through the doors, just by the side of the tunnel and seeing the players all coming out and stuff like this. Like that was really exciting as a young man. Really, really exciting. The atmosphere was great there. The feel on a game day, you know, running into the stadium and stuff like that to make sure you get there on time. The kids standing outside saying, I'll park your car for you or I'll look after your car for you. Oh, if mm -hmm. ever, that's the biggest scam I've ever seen in all my days, that. <laughs> <laughs> but like, what, what, a, what a time, what a time that was. And it's crazy because it didn't match up in terms of the best years of the club either, was it? No, far from it. I mean, like you said, it was a yo-yo job. Up one week, down the next, it was just so many ups and downs. But still, I don't think, I suppose the fans, the fans' expectations were always high because of the tradition, the history of Manchester City Football Club. Yeah. But I think we we realised we were the best team in the Premier League. Anyway, definitely. I mean, I don't think the club was flush with a lot of money to sign great players yeah. week in and week out. So it was just great place to be. 
good team, good players, fantastic fan base, mm-hmm. brilliant club. Um, and then, obviously, the, the, the injection uh, of the people from the Middle East changed everything. Well, well, listen, we'll get into the details of that. But to talk about one year in particular, I think it's the 98-99 season which is the year when they got promoted in the playoffs from Division 2. You know, that to, like, longer-term City fans is just as big a day as, say, what happened in 2012 when they first won the league title. Aguero. Exactly, yeah. But in that year, did it it feel as important to the club um, then as, say, does now looking back and realising that, say, maybe without that, the club wouldn't be where they are today? Or was it just another another year where the hope was to get up? Um... Well, at the time, it was another year where we hoped we'd get up. But looking back at that game and that season, if that hadn't have happened, we wouldn't be where we are today. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. That was an incredible. I mean, the the actual day itself was just an unbelievable turnaround in a matter of minutes, like the Aguero moment yeah. in, in 2012, a matter of minutes. Everything just goes from one extreme to the other, and that happened at Wembley against Gillingham. Yeah. Did you think but it, was, it was a vital game, vital result. So at 2-0 then, did you think it was done, or did you think something was going to happen? Well, I think everybody did uh, in the minds. I can remember at 2-0, they brought both the strikers off Gillingham. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thinking they'd go more defensive, they'd won it now 2-0. And then Kevin Harlock scored, of course, in the whatever minute it was near the end. And we thought it was probably a consolation goal. Uh, and then the the miracle happened. Mm. Dickoff equalised. And from that moment then, I think everybody in our camp felt that that was it. That, that This is the, the time that things changed. Yeah, yeah, I get that. It was a remarkable day, um, incredible, extreme emotions from yeah. in, uh, from one minute to the next. Similar to 2012, incredible emotions, extreme one to the other from, in a matter of minutes. It was just two unbelievable events that have happened for, for Manchester City. Yeah, for sure. And going back to that early era then, what would you say your sort of favourite memory is of that time or favourite moment? There were many, really. I mean, there, there was banter every day in the dressing room. You got characters like Nicky Weaver and Kevin Harlock, you know, yeah. people like that. They were just, it was just madness every day. And I could, I mean, I could tell you thousands of stories about the events of that season. But uh, listen, feel free to tell best us. Best not to. <laughs> no, I'll take, I'll take at least one as long as it doesn't get us cancelled. I'll take just one. What, was you, what sort of things do you remember? Because that you are naming some characters there, some like huge characters in the history of Man City Football Club for sure. We trained at Main Road on Millennium Morning. Okay, because we had a game coming up. Can't yeah. remember who it was. And we are all all right. Uh, the, t- the I remember the players arriving in the dressing room, got changed in the dressing room, Millennium Morning, and Kevin Horlock walked in with a pint of vodka in his hand. <laughs> Finish that. We got changed, and we. I used to train warm up with the players. And we all went out onto the track, and did a two lap warm up, round the pitch yeah. to get warm. And we had to hold Kevin Horlock up in the middle of us because <laughs> he could hardly stand. But and Joe Joe Royal spotted this eventually, and he just dismissed him off the field and told him to go and sit in the stand. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kevin all up for the rest of the training session just abused all the players for about an hour and a oh, half. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my goodness. That is, now that is a different that, era for sure. That is yeah, never era. never happened now, would it? Oh, not even close, not even close. So the next era then, which I want to sort of usher in, is when say City like you guys, you move to Carrington and you move to playing at the city of Manchester. Like how much of a change was that for the club or was it just a case of the same club but just in a different set of postcodes? Uh, great training ground, Carrington. Yeah. Great facilities, good pitches. Everything was close. Dressing room, laundry, boot room, staff changing room. You know, everything was in in the, in the same vicinity. It was 
Again, great atmosphere. Uh, moving to the stadium, fantastic stadium, was different. Mm. The atmosphere was different. Yeah. Uh, but the, everything seemed to be gradual. There wasn't a, a sudden, wow, we're like, we, we're the greatest team in England now. Mm. Yeah, we're going. We're going to win the Premier League. It was. A, it, they did it in a great way. I think the people from Abu Dhabi. They they, they invested carefully and not a huge impact all at once. It was done respectfully and carefully. And and then, I mean, you you could see the progression and you could see what we were going to become. But it was gradual rather than yeah overnight you've 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 kind of jumped the gun a little bit though because we are going to get to that era after the takeover but i'm also talking about say from 2003 like to maybe like yeah it's just before say the money come came in like yeah. that change there to go from main road after that last game against southampton where you know it's supposed to win i remember that feeling of being in the stands listening to the doves like playing their song pounding people stealing chairs and all this stuff you know what i mean like that's an end of an era type feel and then you go to the next stadium and you start off we've seen ronaldinho playing against city like was it that must what was that like for you guys was that surreal because obviously the history of main road is something which is, is as far from what the way that i see it, it's unrivaled but this was did, did it just feel different did it feel like you belong there from the get-go or was it something where you thought it was going to take a while to make the adjustment uh Difficult question to answer that. I mean, I, I would have to speak personally. Yeah, of course. Yeah. From from, from my you. point of view, yeah. Uh, whether it would reflect the players, or any of the players, or any other members of staff's point of view, I don't know. Um, but I, I think I just took it all that this was happening. Mm. Um, as I say, it, it didn't feel like it happened overnight. It's a gradual process, and we we adjusted along with the progression. We just accepted what was happening without going over the top. It was just mm-hmm. it, it was just an acceptance of we're going somewhere. Yeah, you know. Yeah, this, this, things are going to happen at this football club. Yeah. That, yeah, I get that. I, I get that to be fair because it did feel, even from my side, like something was changing. Because even in that first year, I think that was when um, first made it to like the UEFA Cup, playing against mm. like TNS and stuff like that. I remember, TNS, I, you know yeah. what I mean? Total network solutions. Yeah, I remember. I remember all that stuff. And as a you know, as a city guy, especially somebody coming through the academy, it felt exciting because my generation, if we were to make it, was going to be blessing that stadium. Like I was lucky because from my side. We, I think my under 17 team actually played the very last game at Main Road because the season right. had finished, but we had a playoff game, which we played a few days after that. I remember being out there because we played youth cup games and stuff there, but it, there was something about it knowing that this was coming to an end, which was special. Mm. But you're thinking to yourself, well, the next goal is to play at the next stadium. And the only way you're going to do that is if you get into the first team. And that's the first team that's now playing in Europe. Like that felt really, really exciting. But to get yeah. back to you anyway. So... What going across to um, the city of Manchester? I won't call it the Etihad because it wasn't the Etihad. It was the city of Manchester Stadium, wasn't it? Or Eastlands, as we used to call it. So you, <laughs> all the managers that you'd worked under, whether it was as a coach or as a kit man, like going across from like Keegan Pierce going back, like who was your favourite? Would you say? Uh, I liked Joe Royal, of course, was great. Yeah, Pete, Peter Reid was great at the the first one I went to. The first manager when I joined City he was great. But Joe was great. Uh, Sven was great. Yeah. Do you know Sven what? I was... really like Sven, you know. I really like Sven. Yeah. I mean, he was such a charming, lovable guy. He was so polite to everybody. He would talk to the laundry lady exactly the same as he would to the chairman. Mm-hmm. He was just... The... I can remember Hans back, his assistant. Mm. He said to me one day, he said... They could go in a restaurant in Manchester and it'd be empty, him and Sven. Mm-hmm. And in ten minutes it'd be packed. Yeah. And there'd be glamorous models <laughs> walking over to Sven, giving them the card saying, If you're ever in London, give me a ring. And wow. 
And, and as a physical specimen, he was no. No, no, he's got. He his, was no Tom Cruise. No, no, he's a long way away from Tom Cruise. But he's, he had this aura about him, and he obviously had this reputation as well. And he was so charming. The lads love him. Yeah, he's in fact. We played at Mid Middlesbrough and lost eight one. Yeah, that one. Yeah, remember? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and Richard Dunn was sent off. Yeah. And we all knew that Sven was being sacked. Yeah. Shinawatra was the chairman at the time. And it's the first time, but the only time, I've ever seen Richard Dunn, the captain, stood up in the dressing room after the game, we just lost 8-1, yeah. and said it had been a privilege and a pleasure to have worked with you, to Sven, yeah. for the last two or couple of years, whatever it was. We're devastated that you're leaving. Uh, we wish you all the best for the future. I've never seen a player yeah, at that actually point, yeah. stand up in front of all the players and the staff yeah. and say something like that. So it it was well it was well loved. Yeah, and do you know the, um, the thing we've done? He's saying that as well. He would be speaking on behalf of all the players as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't. Yeah, there'd be nothing flash about it, Donny. No, he'd, no, no, he'd no, tell no. it like it is. Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. I think it's a shame that it didn't work out with Sven. Like it seems the season was split in half. We were great in the start of the year, very yeah. indifferent coming the end, finishing with an eight-one. But I tell you one thing, Chappie, which I've realised <laughs> looking back, we did the double over Man United. Yes. Yeah, you see that? See that? That's hard to come by these days, but we did, uh, absolutely. The, we did the double. And, and Sven still went to Thailand on the end of season tour with us. Oh, gosh, yeah. That's <laughs> that's just, it's crazy. But you know, at the start of that year with Sven, it, and the new one in Shinawatra, that was the first time, I think, where something felt like something was happening. It felt well, it felt very real, even if it ended up not being. Would you agree with that? I get, yeah. And um, what stands out for me is... He signed about seven players in about three weeks. Yeah. And we went to West Ham the first game of the season. Yeah. Away. Yeah. All of us on the bench thinking, well, we, we don't know what this team's capable of. We don't know. How, they, they haven't played much together. There's just seven new signings in the side. And we were like Real Madrid on the day. Yeah, yeah, we were yeah, absolutely yeah. brilliant. And I think we were top by Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did and you... then everything just went. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you know yeah, what? Do you know what it was? We were top heading to Chelsea in like the second or third month of the season, and the talk was nationally that we've we've arrived. We're going to go and put give them a good game and all this stuff. And we lost six one at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. But, but you know, we don't need to talk about all that. You know, no. we, we were top going into the game. But anyway, so the next era then. Um, which I, you know, it looks obvious, it makes sense now, but it feels like it came out of nowhere when the club gets taken over on that eventful last day of the transfer window, Rubino's arriving, all that stuff. I'll be honest, yeah, from my side as somebody who joined City in 97, somebody who was seeing him be a yo-yo club, to go into the new stadium, to seeing us one year be in Europe, the next year not score a goal at home for three months, yeah. When somebody says you're now the richest club in the world, and your aim is to try and win this and th win that. I was like, nah, I like, I, no, I can't, I can't see this. You know, people were turning down the chance to come. I remember Kaka in particular saying like, no, nah, I'm not going to come to the club and all this stuff. Were you a believer or were you a skeptic more so like me? Well, like I said before, it was, it was gradual. Mm. It, uh, yeah. I, I, as it progressed gradually, I started getting more and more and more in the belief that we are going to start yeah. winning something big. Yeah. It wasn't an overnight thing. Yeah, for sure. And like you say, you sign Rubinho. I can re remember him signing. And then these these top players in the world yeah. started to come to City and, and want to come to City. Mm -hmm. So the, the, there was an obvious sign though that if you come to Manchester City you're going to win things yeah 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 for sure so uh, and then well look at the names that have come over the years it's just staggering really isn't yeah it? To, say From, the, to say the least when yeah. you look back at like when you arrived in 97 to yeah it's, it's a different world isn't to, it to 2012 say when we first won the Premier League mm-hmm Fifteen years. Yeah, it's incredible. It is incredible. It's a totally different club. And as far as the sort of belief thing went, I think given the timing of when the club was bought out, with it being the last day and you've signed one player and now you've got three months, you have three months of people telling you how you're expected to be great now. 
and how you expected to buy this player and that player come January and all this stuff. Mm. And, it, you know, it never ended up being the case. But in time, like, the next crop of significant players, in my opinion, that came from that sort of era. In fact, there were some there already there because he had Vincent Companies. He had Nigel De Vincent Company, Nigel De Jong. He had Zabaletas, people like this. You know, yeah. there's a, there was a core group of City talent there who came before... The journey was Tevez. fully commenced, yeah. And then when Tevez came, Tevez. oh my goodness, Chappie. That that it was I think it was that next summer when you brought in Adebayor, Tevez, Gareth Barry, Colo Torre, people like this. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, okay, well this this feels a lot more real. This feels yeah. a lot well, more real. You that's I mean? when you know that was world class. That that's <laughs> that's when you know this team is going places. We are going to win something. For sure, for sure. And how was it how was stuff off the field? Like in terms of your job? Was your job the same? Was it becoming harder? Like what were you how were you dealing with sort of the changes happening within the football club? A lot more intense. I think with the influx of more of the foreign players, the the requirements were far, far more than all the standard English, basic English lads had had in the past. Mm. <clears throat> you know, all these compression shirts and cycling shorts and snoods and hats and gloves. <laughs> and there were so many different items. When I first started as kit man, the players got a pair of shorts, a pair of socks, slip, a sweat top and tracksuit bottoms if they were lucky. Mm -hmm. There was no tights and compression shirts and hats and gloves and things like that. That bit, that was unheard of. Mm -hmm. And then I, I always make the comparison with Sean Wright Phillips, right? Sean Wright Phillips, when he first got in the team, would have worn two left boots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. When he got established in the first team, we ended up taking about 9, 10, 11, 12 pairs of boots away from him <laughs> to every away game. <laughs> Because you didn't know which ones he wanted oh, at the terrific. game. And if you took 10, he'd probably want the 11. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. But, but that's, let's that's shout how to Ray. people yeah. changed. That, yeah. With the, the more requirements, the more things that were available, the more they wanted them. Yeah. But once one player gets them, they all want them. Wow. Listen, at this point, I'm going to jump off and say, no, that wasn't me, though. I was always very simple, no. wasn't I? See, that's the thing. There, there are very few players, and I would include you in this one, Gareth Barry was another one. Yeah. There are very few players who don't change. Yeah. And I don't mean they go from one extreme to the other, but they all seem to change a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but there are some players, yourself included, whose feet always remain on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Listen, there's no there's nowhere, else to, there's nowhere else to keep them. You know what I mean? <laughs> was not flash. A lot of humility. You know, some I've I've seen some players change fairly radically without being hideous. Yeah, not not without bad the, the requirements yeah. have changed vastly, and and the some of the mannerisms mannerisms have changed, and that mm. without being hot, turning into horrible people, it's just. It's I different. suppose it's a natural progressive one. You're getting all these accolades. You played in in front of huge crowds. Every game's on television. You. Everybody, you're a household name in, in, in everywhere in the country. It's just, I suppose it's a natural thing for somebody to yeah. change and adapt to the to their environment and surroundings. For sure. And to be fair, that goes in line with how the club was changing because all mm. eyes were on the club. We went from being a side where, you know, we were it was very well supported with some good guys in there, good players, to being the side where everybody's watching, in some ways hoping that you fail because mm. that's a bigger talking point than when you're successful. You know what I mean? Mm. You're always itching yeah. for the next disaster, whereas at times you could have yeah. the disaster and not have the focus on you. But to go back to a time, like a lot of people who listen think that I'm very anti-Mancini, but I'm not really anti-Mancini like that. But one, thing I I saw, <laughs> but one thing I saw, which I think was more significant in terms of after the takeover happened, was that there was a significant change of the mood in the place when he took charge and in those early months, in those early years, because there was a sort of change in the way that he, what he expected from everyone and it, it almost felt like, well, I don't know. Because I, I left after Mancini, so I don't know what the other managers were like. But that felt like the biggest change in the club for me. Not the money, but when he was in charge. Would you agree with that? Oh, without 100%. Yeah. I, I, I often think, like, what would what did a player think of him at the time? Yeah. What did a player think of him? What did all the players think of him during his time at Man City? I mean, 
surely they didn't think the way I thought, mm. what I thought of him, how he treated me. Surely he treated people, some of the players at least, with some kind of respect or or just general good manners. I mean, it. it I've got thousands and thousands of stories that I could tell about Man- Roberto Mancini, but we won the league yeah. while he was manager, yeah. and we won the cup while he was manager. Exactly, yeah. And we had some fantastic. It was a great team. Yeah, and there were some great, great characters team. in there as well because you t- now Absolutely. you're talking about Milner's, yeah. Jolene Lesko, people like that's that. That's probably why they were very successful because. In spite of Mancini, they they had a fantastic team spirit. Whether he had anything to do with that, what I don't know. But their team spirit and their togetherness and camaraderie that won the Premier League. Mm. Mm. As well as their ability and the talent. Yeah, that they were very much together. They were all very driven. They were all great professionals. It felt like. Yeah. And, you know, so credit to them. You know, Mancini deserves the credit because they did win yes. the, the Cup and they did win the league. And it's just, like I, like, I say this, and people have heard me say this before, like, if I think if he would have had more of those sort of, like, personality traits which make you likable, I think he stays mm. for longer because he must Oof. have had something because they found success with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But definitely, it, definitely. If it, it, I agree totally with what you just said. Yeah. I, I don't want to speculate any more than what you've just said that, that you've hit the nail on the head though yeah and it's it's, it's interesting it's interesting because he's you know he's very confident he doesn't care what i think he, he, he made that clear while mm. while i was working for him but he doesn't care you know? and me yeah exactly and lots of others and, i'll get and everybody else <laughs> exactly yeah but that's when that's when i felt like the club sort of changed the most and the the stuff which you said apart about the owners about it being gradual like i 100 percent buy into that as well because it was they're working on little things here, little things there. This is important. And I think, I feel like they built the infrastructure over just throwing everything at the players because I was, um, you know, I was at QPR at a time when they were spending money, but the money was being spent on the t- on the players and not necessarily in the infrastructure. So when things didn't yeah. go right on the field, they stopped paying the players, but then the infrastructure also wasn't there. So with it, like this year, it looks like they might get promoted from the championship, but this is after being away from the league for seven years. You know what I mean? That's how long it took to get stable, to be able to push on again. You know what I mean? Well, City did it right. Yeah. They that did. slow progression and getting everything else in place before certain things were done was the right way to do it. Yeah, for sure. And don't get me wrong, they spent money on players, but like it's not just been players. Like As a player now, I would ask myself, I would ask the question like, what is it about City that you wouldn't want to be a part of? Because you're going to have some of the best training facilities in the world, going to have some of the best, say, coaches or whatever, some of the best players around you playing in one of the best stadiums, playing in front of an incredible crowd and going for, like, imagine you start a season in that team and the aim is to win everything. Like, <laughs> there was there was once a point, Chappie, where, we, as I say, we didn't score a goal at home for three months. For three months. For yeah. three months, Chappie, not one goal. One, not one goal. I defy you to look back at that time and say that was worth watching. <laughs> I mean, there was some when I look back at some of the players in the nineties. Yeah, some of the players that were signed, D and B and whatnot. And then you look at the what's happened twenty years later. Some of the players mm. that they're talking about signing and have signed. It's just, it's just a complete contrast from one end of the spectrum to the other. Mm. It's amazing. Know- you know, as you were there then in the later stages and City start winning more things more often, did you enjoy it as much as you thought you would? Um, it, it, at the end, it became hard work. In what sense? Uh, in, what, in what sense? It was every training session i'd have to be there if there was one player in i'd have to be at the training ground i went on every trip pre-season post-season every away game every game every training session i was there and and it's not like people think it's glamorous sometimes like you, you go on tour to, i don't know wherever you go on tour mm-hmm. china or america or something i mean you're working all the time mm-hmm. You know, you do, there's two training sessions a day. Then you've got to get it all washed and everything and sorted out and 
you've got pre-season friendlies, you're packing for them. So you're not sightseeing on, you're not hanging about on a beach when you go on, on these tours or anything. It's it's hard graft. Yeah. And when you're taking the number of players that we used to take on tour and the requirements of not just the players, the staff. Yeah. Like, like for instance, now I think there's about 17 staff get changed on a match day now. 17. Staff. 17, okay. I asked... I asked Tony Buck this a few months ago, last year sometime. I said, you know, Skip, when you, when you were, like, assistant manager, to, how many went on an away trip? He said, well, there'd be, there'd be me and the manager and the physio, uh, um, uh, 11 players and one sub, about 15. Mm. <laughs> the game has That's changed. That's the though. total party that travelled. Yeah, the game's changed, isn't it? Is that the oh. same at all other teams or is it just like a City thing? Uh, I think virtually every Premier League team now has, has got this vast amount of staff because they've got sports scientists, sports therapists, IT guys, you know, doctors, physios, masseurs. There's a huge range of medical staff to start with and background staff as far as stats are concerned. You know, they've got they've got um, stats on every opposition team, every opposition player in every league. Yeah, I mean, it's staggering the amount of of stuff that that's that's studied nowadays it's i'm pep like pep has a meeting before every training session and usually after as well so it's it's just the it's so he lives eats and breathes football of course but and as you said before the the training facilities now are just phenomenal yeah yeah it was it like um what what's what's Pep like as a as a manager of a whole system? You know, if we if we disregard the bit about players and coaching and all that stuff, what's he like as a person? Well, I've never worked under him. Oh, did you not? No, right. I I, I finished doing the kit when uh, Pellegrini was manager. Right. Okay. Got you. Uh, I've met Pep a couple of times in different capacities, working for City TV and stuff and that. But uh, I couldn't really tell you what he was like uh, as a person to work for. I've not heard many bad stories about him, and he's he's not had a, a, a bad career, has he? Really, as well, a manager, good well, gracious. That's, 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 that's yeah, that's an understatement. Do you remember when he came on trial at City? Uh, I, I I don't actually. But I, I know he did, but I just I can't recollect what he did because I think he signed. I think he went to play in Mexico for a season after, after yes, he came to us. Like Stuart Pearce was manager, wasn't he? That's right, my friend. That yeah. is right. That is right. Yeah. He, yeah. Mad times. Maybe he thought if, he, if Pep comes in, maybe he want to be a manager and take my job further down the line. I'm not going to let him go in. All that good stuff. Yeah. But here's a question for you then. So, or rather, this this might be a long drawn out question. So, in recent weeks on this show, I've spoken with Michael Johnson, spoken with Stephen Ireland, and off the back of that, I've been I've been having feedback from guys who were working with City through the sort of like oh five oh six to like two thousand and ten type times, yeah. And the ones who stayed past that had a lot of success, which they loved. But there's been something about listening to those recent stories which makes them feel very fondly about that time at City where, you know, where we were essentially a shambles, not as much of a shambles as the yo-yo times, but we were a shambles. We weren't doing anything, but they love looking back and seeing the people that were part of that. When they, when we're talking about people like yourself, some of the players, some of the masters, some of the fitness coaches, stuff like this. And they're saying like, as I say, they're not, because the same for me, I, as a City fan, I would never, wish away what's going on right now at City because it's absolutely incredible. It's like an honour to see the way that they play football and to say that this is the team that I support. But I love that time. I love the mm. time just before it because it feels like there was a... It was different. And it had tons of negatives. Of course it did. But it was different. And I'd be interested like to know like what what was your favourite era in terms of the times when you were working, working at City? Well, I, I, I loved... From 92 when I first went up and then from 97 as kit man. I love that time. Yeah. Even the yo-yo times up to uh, the Gillingham game and the, going to Lincoln and, and going to York and losing at York. And I, I just, it was a great place to work. As I said, we used to get up in the morning. Oh, great. I'm going to work. And, and people used to work ridiculous hours and, just get on with it. They just enjoyed the place so much. Mm. And like you said before, the, the the characters of some of the lads who've 
who've come through, that, especially in that time. There's some great characters, staff and players, great mm-hmm. characters in the club. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, virtually the whole time that I was there, I would always class City as a very, very family-friendly yeah. club. I think it had a reputation of being a, a family club at yeah. that time. Yeah. Um, as I say, it was is a like... And you said as well, it was a brilliant era to work at. But for me, from day one, yeah, probably as the more requirements for players and staff came about, it would probably be less enjoyable because I had like 10 times more work to do. Yeah, yeah. But still a brilliant place to work. And I think there's, there's, there's four kit men now. So if I'd have had four kit men working with me all through that particular time. I, don't, I think I'd still be there. Yeah, I get that. I miss that dressing room every day of my life. Yeah. I mean, I, I still miss being a player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. There's, being a kit man's great position to be in because you're in the dressing room with the players every day and you, mm. you're providing a service for them, like I said. You're not doing anything nasty towards them and leaving them out of the team. Uh, and that, like, you'll know... There's nothing like being in that dressing room. Yeah, that's that's very, very true. And to talk about your place and your role at City with that, though, like, you, I think a kit, kit man's role at every club is very significant. That's why you find some of the kit men that work at clubs have been at clubs longer than any other player, any other member of staff and stuff like this, because you guys, like, you're the, you're the heart and soul of a place because lots of things change. There's so many managers that come in and out, so many staff that come in and out, but then there's somebody there who's seen there, who's seen it all, lived it, understands it, feels it, lives and breeds it. And as you've mentioned there, like there's no negative with you, but then you're also so important. Like I used to try and hammer this home when I, whenever I've played, like respect the kit man, respect the kit man, put your kit in a tub, like respect the kit man, clean your place, respect the kit man, because the way that this works, if you decide to go on strike one day, nobody's training. That's the thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, nobody's training. Like, can't people see that? There used to be four tubs in the dressing room for them to throw the kit in, and you can guarantee 90% of it be on the floor. <laughs> oh, I swear. Jaffe, I well, swear that didn't you. bother me. That didn't bother me. No, I'm glad it at didn't. At all. You know, it's funny because it bothered me because I was like, come on, just like, it's another foot. It's the thought, like, just get up and just walk and just put it in. Because I used to wonder with some guys, like, what do their houses look like? Did they just get up in the morning? Oh, sorry. Did they, like, get home at night and just get their clothes and just throw it towards something and just leave it there, hope that someone comes and sweeps it up? (laughs) But, you know, it is what it is, eh? So, through Chappie, through all those years then, especially the – well, let's talk about the early years. Were there any players who you think were suited to the wrong sort of era? Is there anybody from early doors who you think would be good in this new version of Man City? Uh, how far back do you want to go? As far back as you want to go, as long as it say before before the Etihad. Anything, be, anybody before the Etihad who you think could do well at that stadium now? Because the immediate thought, I'm thinking like King Cladsey or something like that, or would that not work? Yeah, King Cladsey was an incredibly skillful player, but we got two relegations while he was in the team. Okay. Fantastic individual. Was he a team player? I don't know, but amazing feat, amazing player. Again, Mario Balotelli, amazing feet, amazing ability, but would he ever be a team player, you know? Mm, mm. Um, mm. Got you thinking. I think going it? back to like, even like at 92, in 92 when I first went, you were people like <coughs> Keith Curl, yeah. I thought was an exceptional centre-half. Tony Court, an exceptional goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, David White, of course, I mean, played for England as well. He was exceptional. He had a period where he was really hot. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to say. I think that they are a phenomenal team at the moment. Aren't they? they're, they're all world-class players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. But like yourself and Mika Richards and pe- Sean Wright Phillips and people like that would have comfortably fitted into this team. Yeah. I have no danger about that, yeah. But, There's been some exceptional players over the years from every era that I've been there. And probably a lot of them from each decade would, would get in this team now. Yeah. See, the thing is, like, 
I wouldn't necessarily agree to say in terms of getting into the team, but I'd like to see them have the opportunity the to play to yeah to play yeah. under this to see how good they could be. Because yes. I think for any player yeah. coming through now, you might not necessarily play a ton of games for the team, but if you train with that team, the standard, mm. the lowest rung on the ladder is very high, is yeah. very very high. You could have a you could have a a great day and look like the worst player because you've got some of the best players in the world, as you say, all around mm. it, and that's like wow. The club, the club's changed so much, and you know, to be honest, like as I say, there've been tons of City fans who've been listening to this, and I just want them to know that, like, as we talk about this, we're reminiscing about the history of the football club, the story of the football club, and you are the guy that has literally seen it all from a perspective which people could only dream of seeing. So <laughs> I want to say thank you very much for all the insight that you've given, and I hope you're enjoying this semi-retirement thing that you're doing with your house with only one door because you know you, you very <laughs> much deserve it house, oh yeah. you've moved okay that's a positive yeah. there's actually two on this oh congratulations congratulations double the fun <laughs> double the fun and in and out but yeah well thank you very much chappy it's been an absolute pleasure seeing you speaking to you and i'll uh, and i'll be sure to catch up to you again soon it's been a pleasure for me to uh Nedham. it's it's lovely to see you again as well and, you, and by the way i've still got the mug which you made in 2006 it says the new on it and i absolutely <laughs> and i love it every time i see it i love it so thank you very much <laughs> You're welcome. Take it easy. Cheers. Bye. Right, so there you have it. Now, I know that was a heavy Man City episode, but Chappie is a Man City legend and is an important part of the club's history. So it was great to have him on. And it was also great to have you tuned in yet again. So thank you very much. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the next three episodes. And with a bit of luck, episode 100 might just be the best one yet. So stay tuned. Thank you, like always, to Ryan Hale for his help making this possible, and I'll speak to you all again real soon. Bye for now.